Hey everyone, it's autumn, a time for harvest festivals and family reunions. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. So get an updated vaccine now. Need more information? Talk to a doctor. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So I listened to uh, the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, and I listened to the Anfield Rap, both of which I listened to sped up. And so anytime, and like they have heavy Scouse accents, which are hard to understand anyways. So anytime I'm playing it out loud, Sarah's like, what? how do you even understand what they're saying? <laughs> I'm just used to it at this point. I'm the opposite. I got to listen to things at half speed. <laughs> that's just, that's just me. pauses. pauses. <laughs> what did he say? pause a lot. Like, rewind. What did he just say? Okay, good. I got the, I think. I wonder how people listen to so many podcasts, but it makes sense now. Like you're listening to it on a one yeah, and a half you time speed. Yeah, listen to it sped up. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't have enough time. But now I might make more time for it. And that's the show. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the John Chi Show. This is your boy KJ. It is just me. It's not a solo episode where I just talk because that would be ridiculous. But I did want to let you know that uh, this week is the John Chi Show live week, which is super exciting. Uh, we're getting together this weekend, but because of that, um, our brains are all over the place, so that's why it's just me talking here myself, but I wanted to go ahead and intro this episode. We've got a really great episode lined up for you. we got a special guest, Rebecca Schumacher, coming on uh, to talk to us about her experience, about growing up uh, really kind of all over the place, and how um, finding Korean adoptees and being in a group of them was life-changing and just kind of everything, her coming out of the fog slash adoption apocalypse moment um, and all that's happened since then. So it's a really, really fantastic episode. We recorded this while Patrick was in Korea. So we're going to go from one people to three people, not four people. Um, so yeah, and then we got a really fun snack thing at the end. Um, anyways, that is it. I'm going to just go ahead and roll the interview now because you don't need to talk. You don't need to listen to me talk anymore. All right. Here's the interview. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are here with uh, an amazing interview today with us is Rebecca Schumacher. Thank you so much for uh, for joining KJ and I uh, for for today and uh um, how, how are you doing? How, how actually I didn't ask where you were located even. So I am fine. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's, um, it's an honor to be here. It really is. Uh, I've listened to every one of your episodes. I feel like I know you guys. So <laughs> well, that um, is incredibly flattering. So thank you for <laughs> listening to every episode. <laughs> every single one. Um, I live in Maine right now. So oh, I'm, nice. I hail from the East Coast over here. So I know you are, what, about two two hours? Two and yeah, time difference? I mean, we technically were in all time zones. We got Jerry yeah. in yeah, Pacific. I'm in Mountain. We got KJ in Central. And yeah, in, in uh, Patrick's yeah. in Eastern. So we covered okay. the whole, okay. whole yeah. US. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm in, uh, I'm in Mid-Coast, Maine right now. Excellent. Well, we'd like to kick off the, the show with uh, essentially you telling your story uh, to us as much or as little as you'd like to tell us. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, let's see. I was born in 1972 uh, in Incheon, South Korea. I was adopted in 1973 at about 13 months old. And I guess my adoption story is a lot like a lot of others in that there was, I was apparently left on the doorstep of an orphanage. So there's no known information or that's how the story goes. Um, so my birth date is approximated. Um, so again, I mean, it's probably pretty close, but it's approximate. I have not undergone a birth search or anything yet. Um, 
it's something I'd, I'd like to do, but it's not my driving force in all of this. Uh, it's not my, uh, it's not something that has to be done. I think I'll get to it in my, in my time when I need to. So, um, let's see, I was adopted into an all white family. My mom is of German and Czechoslovakian descent. My dad's English Irish. And I flew into JFK airport in New York and I was raised on Long Island, New York and lived there. Um, Moved around a lot as a child, mostly on Long Island, uh, just to various houses, but moved around a bit. Um, two years, fourth and fifth grade, my parents moved to Vermont. So we, I was in Vermont for two years, but then we came back to Long Island. And <laughs> so... Oh, yeah. I don't like Vermont. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, it, very white, you know. And so... I grew up in very predominantly white spaces, completely white, white Caucasian family. When I was five, no, I'm sorry. When I was almost seven, my parents adopted another child from Korea. So I have one non-biological adopted brother and he was five at the time he was adopted. Mm. So it was an interesting dynamic. So I was an only child for almost seven years, but um, yet there's only 18 months age difference between us. He is, um, so I was 13 months when I came over, but he was, like I said, five years old. So the difference was tremendous. I mean, he came over speaking the language and, you know, he was a hundred percent Korean. So it was culture shock a little bit for our family, um, who didn't have any, you know, there was no Korean culture in my house. Um, so he came and suddenly we were looking at these little English Korean dictionaries, you know, this is long before the internet. So we were trying to translate, uh, what he madly translate, what he was saying. Um, and he is currently estranged from the family. I have not seen him or spoken to him since 1998. And so you know, that's a very huge, long story, obviously, but, um, you know, that's his story to tell. Uh, well, part of it's his story, right? Part of it's my story because <laughs> I, we grew up in the same house. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, so yeah, just moved around a lot growing up and I, I counted just the other day by seventh grade, I had been in seven schools. So wow that's a lot of, a lot of moving around. And I look back with not one fond memory, well, maybe one of, of school. And I think the moving piece looking back, I believe was a part of that. I mean, I was always the new kid. Mm -hmm. I was the only, always the Asian new kid, right. In predominantly white spaces. So I also have this significant memory issue. I don't mean I have dementia. I just mean when I look back at memories, there's big chunks I can't remember. So it always amazes me when people will tell a story and say, oh, like I remember where I was when this song came out. And I know that song and music has a certain place in our lives. So yes, I mean, I remember some, you know, some of that stuff, but I think to myself, I, I don't even remember all of third grade, you know, and I, I do think that some of that is, you know, I, mild dissociation with, um, diso associating with bad experiences, you know, um, I can't say I remember any overt horrific racism and I'm very fortunate, but were there microaggressions? Was there other, were there other, um, instances? Yeah, there, there sure were. Can I remember a lot of them? No, I, I can't. And I think it's because I've just blocked it out. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I spent 48 years of my life 
kind of not knowing I was Korean. I know that sounds ridiculous. It doesn't sound as ridiculous to a Korean adoptee as it does to a white person, right? Yeah, they would be like, yeah. what are you talking about? But, you know, I can see the looks on your faces. Yeah, you, you do get it because, uh, you know, I came out of the fog, if you will, in, um, in 2020. And it was seeing images on the nightly news of Asian hate crimes. And all of a sudden I was like, just glued to my, to the, to the floor. And I was looking at these images of these horrific things and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, you know, holy shit, what's going on in this country? And I mean, my eyes were just opened and open, not just to that, but open to who am I? You're, you, you look like that victim. You're one of them. And you're living in mid coast Maine, which is as white as white can get. And so here I find myself in another predominantly white space. And I just, it just, that's when I started my, my search. And just, I started slowly reading up on things I started, you know, I started on the internet and I found some organizations and I thought there's organizations out there for Korean adoptees. Like this is a thing. I, I never even occurred to me that there were groups of people, you know, that there were places and people you could talk to for, for support around all of this. So I find myself coming into all this rather late in life, obviously, but um, it's, I, you know, I find myself in a very confusing spot. I mean, it's, I'm trying to navigate. My eyes have been opened and once they're opened, you can't shut them again. So there's no going back to that way life used to be. And I'm not saying I'd want to, but now it's all, it's, it's been strange. It's like everything I've ever thought or known has been flipped upside down. And not that it's all been a lie. It certainly hasn't. I was brought up in a very loving home by loving parents, but beliefs and certain um, biases and just mindsets are all just flipped upside down. And so it's slowly trying to come to terms with all of that. Um, And then living in this, this, these times that we're living in, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and it's, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of where I find myself right now. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's, um, you saw that you saw our head nods. There's a lot of that <laughs> we resonate with a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities, um, to, to those details are, are very, um, yeah, specifically, uh, similar to my, myself actually my mom is also a german czech background and dad is irish english too so when you said that i was like oh that's very similar also (laughs) so um my sister uh you know i think was adopted about the same time as you were too at 71 so or you were Mm -hmm. a few years uh, later but uh um i want to go back to the the the, uh, school um that you had because that that's something that I haven't really thought about. I mean, my school was, I was only at one school and I didn't, I wouldn't say that I had, you know, also huge, you know, racist occurrences, um, definitely probably microaggressions, things like that. Um, but I wasn't the new kid. I, I'm wondering too, I mean, with all of that, I, that's, that had to have been tough. Um, what kinds of things did you do yourself to, to help with that moving from space to space, being the not only the new kid, but also the the new Asian kid. Were there, um, did you have any close friends that you tried to latch on to as much as possible? Did you latch on to family? Um, you know, I'm just curious a little bit about, uh, about that part of things. So looking back, some of the schools and some of the experiences were definitely better than others. Um, and I always tried to be friendly with everybody. So I wasn't the kind of kid who latched on to one friend and then they were my best friend and everybody, you know, there was nobody else in my life. I tried to be friendly with everybody. And I have to say at all but one school, I did make friends. So it's funny when I say I hated school and hate's a strong word and that's that's not overstating it. I hated school. But 
I wasn't really close, close with anyone. And after a little while, I think I've realized even subconsciously, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So let's not get too, too close with anyone because I might be moving soon. Um, But I was, and I'm sure this is not um, unique. I mean, I was the queen of pretending everything was okay. So if I had experienced a microaggression that day at school, I wasn't going to go home and tell anybody about it. How was school? Oh, it was fine. Mm -hmm. How's school? It's great. I was smart. So academically, I didn't have any problems. Um, You know, I always got good grades, but, um, you know, and I always had friends, but I was never that, that close with anybody. So I didn't latch on to say my parents or my brother. Um, growing up, we were there were periods where we were closer with each other than others, but we were never that close. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I never. Um, I think I, I just I did what I had to do to get through. I just mm-hmm. I, looking back, I'd say I just survived it. But I wasn't coming home beat up every day or crying. I just got through it. But man, did I hate it. And inside, I think I was just, you know, churning with, uh, you know, I hate this or if something had happened, I was internalize all of it. And, you know, up until two years ago, that was still my MO, right? You know, my husband is a Mainer and he's not your typical Mainer. Otherwise, I wouldn't be married to him. So he was he was raised around here. And it's he who who had noticed the racism and the microaggressions long before I ever did. We could go to a grocery store and we'd be standing next to each other and he might be maybe a half a step behind me. And he would notice the looks that maybe I was getting. And, you know, and me, I was oblivious to all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and I'm also not the kind of person who goes out. I'm not looking for trouble. If someone looks at me sideways, it never occurred to me that maybe it was because my race might be involved. These days, I'm a little more untuned to it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not that I'm looking for it, but I'm acutely aware of who's oh, around yeah. me these days. So I just realized halfway through that story that when you said your husband was a Mainer, that's what you call people from Maine. I was about <laughs> it took to Google. Me a second too, but then I, I was realized like, it too. what the heck is a Mainer? I've literally <laughs> never heard that occupation. I know. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you mean a person from Maine? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that, so then Sorry. I was like, okay, I'm caught up now. <laughs> okay, you learn a lot of terminology on this show. I mean, the yeah, DMV, yeah, yeah. we got yeah, Mainer. No, I've literally never thought about what to call someone from Maine. I'm I've never like, been never? to Maine, but I've always wanted to go. So now I know. Now you know. Yeah. They're my, called my joke guess would have been maniac. <laughs> maniac. Like, well, oh yeah, they're, they're that, yeah, that's you know, there's that's a a, a popular buzz. A you know. Yeah. Main, or a, every other business is mainly this, mainly uh, that. Uh, mainly, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's it's right there. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that works. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> It's interesting. I really, so I really identify with just that like constant amount of rage. I don't know for for whatever reason, adoption or not, I was just angry all the all the time, and now I'm sad all the time. Which I don't feel like they're uh, too distantly related in terms of the emotional spectrum. But I, it's interesting to me, like just hearing the amount of like I don't know, like school sounded entirely fine, um, and like growing up, your transience was probably for you experientially like just a th- it probably it became just like a thing that you did and you're like we're gonna move at some point you know whatever and i wonder if just like those bits of I mean, what were the facts of your life growing up weren't just things that caused that rage to stay bubbling inside of you even if you didn't have words to express that or for something different but i'm curious um specifically so you said your your brother was adopted when you were seven, he was five. Obviously, there's a lot of um, history in your brother's life about him being Korean um, and then being adopted. What was the transition 
in your family, once your brother was adopted into um, adjusting to where he was at beyond grabbing a dictionary, was there like a, well, we just need to communicate with him. So we're, oh, we're going to try to figure out what he's saying, but otherwise we're going to keep it the same. Or is it like a, well, we need to like try to find a food that he likes to yeah. eat because he doesn't like hot dogs. It doesn't, you know, whatever. Like he grew up on kimchi. So I guess I got to go find sauerkraut or whatever <laughs> that is, you know, like what was that? kind of the new family dynamic once your brother had been brought into the family, but before he had like acclimated or assimilated or anything like that? The former. It was definitely more the former. It was, um, you know, and I th I think through the, some of the reading, a lot of the reading I've done, I realized the history of, of adoption and Korean adoption, but how ill-prepared a lot of adoptive parents were um, for, and that doesn't, I, I don't think that just applies to a Korean child. I think it applies to any child, right? When you're bringing a child into your family, uh, especially one that's five years old or, you know, not an infant, doesn't have to be five, but not an infant who's led this life um, often tragic uh, as was the case with my brother. Um, that these parents are really prepared to deal with this. So then throw in the language barrier that nothing about the cultures is similar. So yes, he was going to have a Korean sister, me, but really? No, I was American as they was. Yeah. They were, you know, are, you know? So yeah, you are uh, like, oh, I've actually studied Confucian texts for my whole <laughs> life. So I understand deeply where you're coming from as a right. fellow Korean. <laughs> right. And I grew up not speaking a word of Korean, obviously. So I was of no help. Mm -hmm. So there was, let's figure out what he's saying, but there wasn't the, um, as I recall, and keep in mind what I said about my memory, but there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of effort made to um, keep any of that culture. Um, so we had a grocery store on Long Island that sold kimchi, you know, in the produce section. So they bought him a, you know, a jar of kimchi, but that was the end of it. You know what I mean? And on the flip side, he wanted to, or it appears that he wanted to shed his Koreanness and his culture as quickly as he could. And he was extremely smart. And he went to kindergarten speaking Korean. And the, I remember my mother will say that the teacher said, what am I supposed to do with this child? He doesn't speak a word of English. And it worked out because my brother picked it up English in no time flat. I mean, so yeah, he wanted to kind of be done with that culture and my parents didn't keep any of it. So I'm not sure looking back, you know, it's no right or wrong, but it's, I'm not sure that was the best, um, the best way to, to handle a, a child, like a child like him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. That's so... Yeah, bringing a, a child into your family, regardless of how that child comes into your family, is already hard. But mm -hmm. then you add all of these particular complexities. Uh, yeah, and that's tough. And I, I think it's interesting, too, because, like, sitting on this side of what... I'm, I'm still trying out this language. Sitting on this side of the apocalypse, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> uh, the adoption apocalypse, looking back, I think it's it's easy to make a judgment call like just kind of reactionarily just being like, and I think especially for a lot of our adoptee listeners, they'll be like, well, yeah, that, you know, they're going to have some thoughts about like that choice to just kind of shed your Koreanness because of maybe the lack of Koreanness we were all generally raised with unless, mm -hmm. you know, unless your parents like really went out of the way, but like still, I think we feel that loss of culture so strongly and you're like, well, you know, and it is what it is. And it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say what, what was the right decision. And I think too, that even leans into some of that, um, that cloak of whiteness that we walk around with where maybe we're experiencing microaggressions in school. Maybe we get weird looks in the grocery store, but like we aren't, we're totally oblivious to those things because we're not trained to look for those things. We're not, um, it's not a survival mechanism for us yet. Whereas now, later in life, you know, we've gone entered into multiple spaces without our parents, without the cloak of whiteness. 
it does become, especially having seen in two years, it's literally life-threatening to not have your guard up in that way. And so now, now we're like scrambling to, to keep that up and, and maintain that. So yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to, I think, to look back because you only have where you are now to say like, ah, oh, man, I wish that things were different or maybe if they were different, I still would have ended up being, you know, like that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an interesting nuance to take. Um, I'm curious where you are now with wrestling with your adoption and your Asian-ness and everything. Cause you, like you said, you, you've been on this journey now for two years, kind of same, same as us. Uh, but it sounds like you're still, still kind of chewing on things. I don't know. Like what's the most, what's the, what's the foremost thought in your brain when it comes to Asian-ness and adoption and, and all those things? I, that's a good question. And I, I, I don't know. It differs by the day. It really does. I mean, there's honestly, I'm just, so I'm delving into the Korean culture, but I'm also delving into adoption and all that that is. And, you know, the term adoption trauma, I didn't even know that existed. That was a thing until I started listening to your podcast and doing some reading. And so realizing all the trauma that is that surrounds just adoption in general. I mean, you know, when you say you're adopted, I mean, by nature, I think adopted people they're tough. They're survivors because you know what? We had to be until we were the lucky ones, right? Adopted into loving families and loving homes. But, you know, you had to be a survivor. So I think that, and I've done a lot of thinking on that in the last two years, how being adopted has made me who I am today, how it's, you know, formed my personality. I mean, in ways I never even thought, I mean, my personality, you know, everybody's got their personality, but looking at it and examining it now, it's like, well, maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guarded person, you know, I don't let a lot of people close for, you know, I really, I'm very slow to trust, very slow to trust. And, I'm not saying those are all qualities of all adoptees, nor do you have to be an adoptee to have those qualities. But I look at those qualities in myself and say, how much of that is related to adoption? So I'm doing a lot of reading. Um, and then there are days where I really am looking at the whole, um, you know, the the cultural aspect of it as well. And that part of it, I'm just more curious about. I mean, it's, it's on my goal in my goals to in the next realistically five years, I want to get to Korea. I've, I've never, you know, since I've never been back. And mm. um, again, not necessarily to do a birth search, but I just want to go and experience the culture. And I just want to just be around people that look like me. And I'm under no illusions that I'm going to get off a plane there and feel like I'm at home because I don't speak but one word of Korean, right? Yeah. Which my daughter taught me from doing a cultural project. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll feel just as out of place there. But um, I'd like to experience the culture. And so that that's more of a curiosity thing for me, more just I want to learn about it. I want to learn about their customs. I want to, you know, that's all interesting to me. And then more of the adoption stuff and how all of that has played into just uh, my own life, obviously, and as well as family dynamics and, and things like that. And that's, yeah, I mean, there are days when I, seem to can't get enough of it. I'll listen to podcasts. I'll read and I'll read articles. I'll, you know, then there are other days it's like, it's all just swimming around in my head. And it's, I think to myself, what do I want to do with all this? You know what I mean? Mm. I've been trying to write and just get as much as I can down on paper, just get my thoughts down and figure out what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And so you said two years ago, also you was when you kind of came out of the fog and started doing some research. What were some of the first things you did uh, when you were doing that? You said you found communities um, online. Did you start interacting with those communities? Did you do any meetups? And have you also met another Korean adoptee in your area or other, uh, even just Asian, um, you know, um, collection of people or, you know, groups, I guess, that you're, you're a part of? 
so I there's one Asian market. Um, well, there's I think there's two, but there's an Asian market in Portland, and I'm about a little bit and a little bit more than an hour from Portland, Maine, and uh, it's a great little Asian market. And so the owner is Korean. He's not adopted. From what I can see, he's um, owned the business for many years. And I was talking to him one day when I was in there buying some things. And I said, you know, I'm kind of new on this journey of discovering uh, my culture. And I'd love, you know, to find anything I can about about Korea. And I'd love to connect with some people. Do you know of any groups in Portland or anything? And so long story short, he directed me to this church. Uh, it's a Methodist church. I'm not Methodist, but they actually have Sunday services, half in English and half in Korean. And the pastor is Korean and the congregation is almost 100% Korean. So I thought, well, I'm going to go check it out one day. So I did. And um, <laughs> there, it wasn't it wasn't that large. I think there were maybe 15, 18 people in the congregation that Sunday. And everyone there was old enough to be my grandmother. And so they were these little old, adorable Korean women who were had accents so thick I couldn't hardly understand them. And I was a new face there. And so when it ended, they were all, they swarmed over to me and they were, uh, what, you know, they wanted to know all about me. And I mean, you know, I opened my mouth and I've got a New York accent. So they knew I wasn't uh, off the, fresh off the plane Korean. And um, it was very sweet. And they wanted me to, you know, they wanted me to come back next week. And, but I realized, and I'm not close to the idea of ever going back, but I realized I don't really have a lot in common with these women, right? I mean, they're Korean, I'm Korean, but that's really where it ends. And so um, I'm sure they I could learn a lot from them, but it just wasn't what I was looking for at the time. I was looking to connect with some people who might, like you guys, understand what I was going through and what I was kind of seeking. And so... I connected with um, BKA, which is Boston Korean Adoptees, and um, that's the closest thing to me. I mean, again, this is Maine. There's nothing. <laughs> so I have been down. I've connected with them online, some of their members, and over the summer, I went to their family picnic. And I'd say there were about uh, maybe 30 people there. It was outside at a really nice park outside of Boston. And that was a life-changing event for me. I've never, ever been around more than maybe one or two other people who were Korean. So to sit and be able to talk with some people um, with various uh, situations, but all that that similar thread of we were all Korean adoptees, was it was it was powerful for me. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, those communities like that are... are... Excellent. And I, I've, I've heard of BKA before, too. I can't remember exactly if there's one of our guests that have talked about it as well. Um, I know there's some um, adoptees from, you know, Jersey and uh, the New York area, yeah. some some further up uh, north side. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know of anyone else in Maine. I, I really wish I could connect you with uh, some people yeah. that I knew as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, good, good luck. <laughs> yeah. So after that, uh, that event, uh, are, are do they have regular events and how far is that for you to get to those events it's about a two and a half hour ride so okay. it's not you know i can't it's certainly doable i mean mm -hmm. it's a it's a doable thing and at this point in my life and this being a big part of my life right now i i would make the trip so uh they're gonna have uh last year they had um their two sock which was the first thing i've actually participated in with them was virtual so mm -hmm. it was nice. I was able to sit in my house and, and celebrate that with them. And I, so I learned about that and I got to meet some of the people. And um, this year, I believe they're going to try to do it in person. So I might get down to Boston for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I've done a few Zoom calls with people I met at the picnic just to sit and just to connect and talk to, talk to for an hour. And, th and that was even nice. Yeah, the virtual uh, spaces have really helped out a lot, specifically during the pandemic, and um, really connected a lot more people. I feel because you know, 
sometimes we don't have a, a lot of people in our area, our immediate area, or don't know how to find, um, you know, groups that are getting together. I didn't even know there are groups in Colorado until I moved here. Yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, that, I'd love to share with you some other virtual ones that I know of, uh, you know, in the time being that, uh, um, you know, that may, uh, that help, uh, get you connected to some people, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, was, I had another follow-up question. Um, going back to, um, your, uh, um, your family that you have now, you said you have a daughter, um, and you said you celebrated Chosok with, uh, the BKA. Did you, have you introduced any of those traditions in your own family tradition, uh, family tradition? I have not. And tradition? I'm going, yeah, I'm going to, so I have, have two you children. Have in your traditions? Lately? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> I have, um, I have my daughter's eight. And so last year she did a, a cultural day project at her school. She had to pick a country and research it, all these different aspects of it. So I I said, asked her, I said, so what country are you going to pick? And she said, hmm, I don't know. She had no idea what country she was going to pick. And I said, hmm. I said, I can think of a country that makes a little <laughs> more sense to you than some others. And she was, she said, really? She goes, which one? I don't know. I said, South Korea. Oh, yes. Yeah. So she did it. And we had fun. I had fun helping her read about it. I say we both learned a lot. Um, and so n- I... I don't cook. I haven't made kimchi. I I do like. I do like it. I I don't love it. I like it. <laughs> You're getting there. <laughs> but I will eat it. N- nobody else in my family will. Um, but um, I'd like to slowly bring in some of those uh, some of those traditions. Um, and I love to cook, so I I do. It's on my list. So I. But I need to just go to the store and buy some ingredients and and make some make some Korean dishes. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. a lot. That's how I've really introduced uh, the culture to my to my family as well as just myself in general. Yeah. Uh, learning more about what types of foods people eat at, at holidays and um how, you know, starting with the simple ones, the ones that I think my kids are going to eat cuz my kids are also young. Um so I want to make sure that I'm not making like the most spicy kimchi that's going to turn their their face off or something like that so which, <laughs> which i did have some recently <laughs> oh i thought you said which i did burn their face off yeah. no, well, <laughs> i didn't burn their face off but uh my face was burnt off no sorry lana <laughs> but <laughs> friend made That's some funny. kimchi that I, was very spicy <laughs> i think it's so lovely too because food i mean i love to cook but i especially remember enjoying cooking around holidays enjoying cooking around family and those kinds of things and um even now uh one of our friends of the show jennifer uh who lives in the dallas area we will get together and try to get together for chusok and and other things and uh and cook together and do those things and um even that like like that type of like just i mean being friends and eating food together but also cooking it together i think is such a lovely tradition to implement and um i like korean foods because i think they're generally fairly simple like they unless they get really complex <laughs> they're either i feel like they're either like very complex <laughs> in terms of like the crafting of it or it's like very simple um and yeah and i like i just have such fond memories of like i don't know my my grandfather grew up near the border of texas and mexico and so we have like a lot of mexican traditions in our home and so uh cooking tamales and doing that kind of stuff at home during the holidays and i'm excited to introduce that for my family when i have kids and i'm curious um what yeah i mean just like what's what you're most looking forward to introducing to your kid and it sounds like um your daughter you said your daughter was eight right Mm-hmm. Um, so for a fair amount of her life, maybe wasn't, you know, coded as South Korean or at, coded as Asian American, which is a, a thing that I've been thinking about too. It's like, we're all Asian American, we're all South Korean, but no one would have really registered that for us like, until maybe two years ago. And even now we're working on it. Like our love of kimchi, we're, <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, like, are there other, maybe beyond food or there like kids books or stories or other things that you're trying to bring to your home and follow up if you want to get into it what's that conversation been like with your partner to say like hey now i'm asian american and that means some new things and this is how i'd like to maybe think about raising our our kid and and being a family together so i it's interesting i also have i have a son who's 20 Hmm. and so he is 
so they're both half Caucasian, half mm-hmm. Korean. And so looks wise, uh, f- physically, my son, um, my son's appearance is, a, is a l- more like mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter's is, she could pass for Caucasian with a little something, but if you wouldn't be sure, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's the way just, he said that just it, made it sound like a, a Hollywood joke. You're like, you, what you? You're definitely something. You're not just you got you got something. <laughs> That's right. Oh, she's got something. All right. So, um, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm going off on a tangent here. I, I mentioned that she was uh, she had some trouble at her school last year, and she was she had received a death threat, and. Um, I'm not sure that the death threat was racially motivated, but with the way the school and she no longer attends a school handled it was, Mm. was. And in their explanation to some other parents who were concerned, one of the administrators of the school said to this other parent, well, you don't need to be worried because that child doesn't look Asian. Literally. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that was pretty much what I said. I mean, uh, I, I can't even begin to go go into what's wrong with that statement. So uh, anyway, I mean, I'm sorry. No, this is far from what you asked me. But so she has been, my daughter has been um, much more aware, not just because of that situation, but just because of what I've been going through the last two years um, and my own, my own self, you know, searching of her ethnicity. So she is very, it's very cute whenever we go out because we live in Maine. So it's not like you see Asians very often. So if we go out somewhere and it would have to be like Portland or something, unless it's a tourist and we see another Asian, she pokes me and says, mommy, mommy, look, there's another Asian. So she's keenly aware of it. Um, growing up, my son, who was also, uh, born in Maine. I had moved to Maine right before he was born. Um, with him, it's like, you know, he's like this 20 year old and it's not, um, he's not ashamed of it, but it just isn't something in his consciousness right now. And I'm not saying it never will be, but you know, it just, it's not there right now. And I'm okay with that. I'm not, you know, that doesn't hurt me. That doesn't, you know, I had a conversation with him this summer and I just out of curiosity said, you know, does anybody ever ask you what your ethnicity is? Because you can tell by looking at him, he's not, he's not hundred percent Caucasian. There's definitely something. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's got and, something too. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what it is, but it's, it's something Anthony, there. Very ambiguous person. <laughs> and you know, the question's just like, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Classic it's not 20 year old. Exactly. And that's what, and that's what it is. So it's not that he's ashamed of it. It's not that it's really something that's even crossed his consciousness just right now. Uh, that's not to say it never will. Um, but I'd like to, um, bring in, uh, foods the first and foremost, probably because it's, it's the easiest. And my daughter also loves to cook. So we cook together. So that would be fun to do, um, bring in some recipes and both, both do that. Some books I've gotten, um, some books I want to start with her, which aren't really Korean books per se, but there's a few books, um, for children, maybe a little bit older than her, but she's, her reading levels advanced as far as children very timely um asian children living in america today and that experience and mm-hmm. so i think um i think that would be a very um i think it would teach you about a culture but also about the times we're living in um so yeah i mean reading books are big in our house and as far as you had the second part of your question kj my uh husband's my biggest supporter so he is all for it i mean he'll be i don't know he won't be eating the kimchi before us but he'll be <laughs> he's he's definitely he's like try new recipes he'll eat anything so yeah like yeah. he'll go buy the ingredients yeah partake yes. in that ingredients yeah <laughs> but in all seriousness he's uh very supportive of of all aspects of of this search for me yeah, right. that's awesome. I yeah. I mean, like I said, when when my journey and my oh, whatever started uh in 2020, 
like a year on, I had done a lot, like a lot of reading, mostly listening to audiobooks. So it was maybe sped up that way. But uh, yeah, there was just one night when I, I looked over at my wife and I was just like, we, I'm glad this happened now before we had kids, because I think a lot of my ideas around how I wanted to raise our children shifted pretty dramatically partially out of like necessity but also partially just being like all right i'm gonna have an asian kid and beyond i think the natural tendency of transracial adoptees to want to have someone that extends their family line um that they can like feel physically connected to um yeah it just changed that just changed some of those things and i was i didn't know what that looked like you know, having already had kids, I, you know, Nathan, I think we've kind of talked about it some on our show, but um, yeah, that's just, that can be, well, it's different, I guess, Nathan, because your wife is Asian. So <laughs> there is part of that where like, she's like her, her being Asian American, like that's a more common thing. But for us, for Patrick and I with white partners, you're like, well, maybe this does change how we want to talk to our kids or have some intentional conversations. What kind of, even what, even to the point of like, what kind of books do we have on our shelf, you know, and, and those kinds of things. And how, how do you see yourself reflected and not only reflected but succeeding by having authors with last names or you know those kinds of whatever that is so it's kind of curious for that shift um but yeah thanks for sharing my wife definitely pushes the asian in our house a lot more than i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean even today she's uh we were making a joke we were just talking about some other things and she was sitting there uh cooking and and uh she's making chicken nuggets but with chopsticks because <laughs> that's the so. best way to do it obviously <laughs> so. i use my chopsticks all the time i'm like why literally like, get out of here with this fork business and then <laughs> we were just talking about you know michelle lee and and the very asian movement and she goes i don't feel very asian and i'm looking at her and it's like you're making chicken nuggets with chopsticks <laughs> 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 i was like that's pretty asian to me you know it's an asian fusion kind of but yeah. uh, <laughs> But uh, speaking of food, I don't know. Maybe this is a good transition time to try out a new food. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's time to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to jump in with a cute little snack. So here is that right now. Welcome back to the food portion of the John Chi Show, where we snack and eat something different. We just had a great interview uh, with Rebecca Schumacher, but now we're going to try something different because, because we have a snack that I sent out to her. Snack drew me in when I saw it at the store because of the box. And I know I didn't send you guys the box. I only sent you the uh, the snack, but the box has a funny little story and i just now realized what the box says on the front of it it actually said at first i thought it was like a huey hoko chip i thought it was like doing some sort of like you know oh uh, you know, uh, korean <laughs> conglish yeah. or something kind of thing but it's actually cc which is chewy chocolate chip chocolate yeah. chip. so it's essentially chocolate chip cookies chewy chocolate chip cookies but <laughs> It's got a filling it's a in very the very Korean. Oh, that's fun. So that's different. So it's not just a chocolate chip cookie. It's got something inside it. And from the uh, from the illustration on the front, it's a bunch of like little marshmallowy looking squirrel chipmunk bear things that are coming out of the uh, they're coming out of the clouds, and then they're sitting in a little mochi. So I'm I'm guessing it's rice, maybe a mochi. Uh, uh, motor pestle thing where they're being smushed they're putting on coats rolling around in the chocolate and in the background you got these little characters mining for chocolate chips it's a it's a full-on story on the front of this so i'm yeah. i'm excited it's not just a chocolate chip cookie yeah i don't know cute what the name is though other than chewy choco chip cookies um and it is made by uh cw yeah ikg is the brand uh the the korean on it just says chonduk choco chip yeah so i'm assuming chonduk means chewy i don't know at first when i looked at it i was like is this chinese uh or japanese because it was real squiggly but it's korean and then yeah, I, manufactured my brain by the chongwoo chongwoo ah, so cw chongwoo confectionery um, so is that how you hold it mm-hmm yeah yeah, yeah. okay 
And then on the back, there's three little munch munchkins, gopher looking yeah. things. And one says chokochi, another says chaldokchi, and the final one says mashichi, which is like that egyo, like real cutesy way of saying chocolatey and tasty. I don't know what the middle one. I don't know what chaldokchi means, but it's just like a cute, like oh, it's so chewy. Chewy. Maybe they well, I don't cute. know if the first one is well, chewy. I don't know. They are cute characters. What would you even say those characters are? Do you think they're like it's chipmunks, like a, bears? What are a you, chip what are you monkey gopher thing? Gopher? Yeah, it kind of looks like a gopher. Yeah. Or a chipmunk, yep. I, I oh. honestly I don't know. I mean it looks well, good, I feel so. I do. So well, am I supposed like, to eat this now? Yeah, yeah, dig in. Hmm. It's a minimal ah. inner inside. Very the other side is also not white. Yeah. I would not recommend eating this in multiple bites because it gets real crumbly really quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was unfortunate. Um, on the box, it's a regular looking chocolate chip cookie with a white filling. Yep. Experientially, it had a brown filling. That's mm-hmm. why I exclaimed, it's kind of I feel like It's like to. a clear gummy feeling, filling, yeah. I think it's just mochi or whatever. I think it is. I think it's Korean. Well, I don't know how Koreans uh, call rice flour. Glutinous rice flour, essentially, what you, is probably what you're... So yeah, it essentially is a mochi on the inside, but it's not a, a white mochi. It's a clear mochi. I thought it was going to be like marshmallowy flavored. Mm, but, like a malomar. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, it reminds me the cookie itself reminds me kind of of like a chewy Chips Ahoy mm. cookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's good. We're right, not what I expected from the picture on the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like mochi, it feels yeah. unnecessary in the middle of this cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the deal I really like cookies. I never <laughs> say to myself, I wish this cookie was more chewy. <laughs> like that's not the thing that I'm in for for a cookie. So the fact that they were like, let's, let's add mochi in this. In yeah, they're like, you want to chew more? Did your jaw need a workout? No, that's not what I wanted. CW. And they are very crumbly. It, it is mm-hmm. kind of. I agree. I think a, this would definitely be a Patrick one bite cookie kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I like the flavor though. The flavor's not bad. Yeah, I like mochi too. Like you said, so. um yeah, I don't mind it. I, I feel like I've eaten a lot more mochi over the last few years. It's getting more and more trendy, too. Yeah, it's going, definitely. It's going the way of sriracha. You know, I feel like uh, <laughs> it starts out like, you're like, oh, what's this? It's like very hip and trendy and whatever. And then like McDonald's gets a hold of it and it just goes through the roof. Yeah. So, not that McDonald's has ever gotten a hold of sriracha, but you know what I mean. Some American mm. gets an idea for so sriracha. So you think uh, McDonald's will someday have mochi? I mean, if they, yeah, if they start selling like mochi nuts in their breakfast cafe area, would not surprise me one bit. It'd be like tater tots, but with mochi in them. I don't know. Well, if anyone's traveled and had a McDonald's in either uh, Japan or Korea and has seen mochi on their menu, let us know. Maybe they've already done it. Who knows? Because I do know they... They have, you know, location um, specific items. So I think they had a bulgogi burger in Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when bulgogi I was there, burger, so. and then even when I was in Germany, they had beer on the menu. But, <laughs> figure, but yeah. In the summertime in Maine, they have lobster rolls. Oh yes, lobster. Oh. That's one of the definitely one of the reasons why I want to want to uh, go to Maine is for the lobster rolls. Spoken like a true Mainer, which yeah. is a term that I learned on this podcast, <laughs> and that's why we do the show. You know, see, I am not a Mainer. <laughs> yeah, so I said spoken like a true Mainer, right? Right. But do yeah. you like the lobster rolls up there, or have you just grown accustomed to liking them? I have liked lobster since I was five years old. Okay. It's, right. Yeah, it really, it's my favorite food. So, I, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I don't really go for the lobster roll because I don't need the bread. And sometimes they'll serve it with mayo. Some places will serve it with butter. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a mayo person, so I'd never like it that way. But I just would prefer to have it. I mean, I like lobster a lot of different ways, but not. I don't need the lobster roll part. Just give mm-hmm. me a good lobster. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Sounds 
Well, still making me hungry for one. I don't know if <laughs> whether it's whether it's mayo or butter. I take it either either way. Yeah, now I'm like, I think I need to go eat lobster. I don't know that I've <laughs> really had it, and I've had it maybe in like cake form. Okay, I'm but, glad you uh, weren't going to say that you had it at Red Lobster because that. That's, oh yeah, that's like I mean, honestly, that's probably about as close as I get to eating Red, <laughs> yeah. red Lobster. Is their their cheesy biscuit rolls? <laughs> <laughs> That counts, right? That's a shellfish. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, jump into ratings here for this Chunduk yeah. Choco Chip chocolate chip cookie. Um, Rebecca, why don't you jump in? How many gophers out of five <laughs> would you like to give this cookie? I would give it three, two and a half, three. All right. It's- it's the flavor wasn't bad. Um, I could do without the mochi in the middle. It was very crumbly. It was, I'd say a three. A three. <laughs> it's a, a soft three. <laughs> a soft three. <laughs> Maybe two, seven, yep. five. Yeah, three, no, gro- I, three gophers. Three yeah, gophers. All right. I, I'm all right. on I'm bored with that. Actually, that's a very uh, accurate. I, I don't think the mochi added anything and it was very crumbly i almost want my cookies to be one or the other like too soft like a chewy <laughs> soft or like crunchy um like tate's cookies like those Wait. i love oh okay what yeah i don't know what, what? a tate hold on i don't know what a tate's cookie is the, uh, it's just, it's a brand. crunchy cookie does not sound good to me really oh i like crunchy cookies so like a, a crisp cookie sounds good a crunchy cookie <laughs> sounds like you just ate a chip and called it a cookie. <laughs> so go try some Tate's. Um, but I'm going right. to agree. I'm going to give it right around a three. So uh, yeah, I'll give it a three to two, seven, five <laughs> rating for me as well. Because <laughs> I, I did like the flavor. Wait, is that 3.275? Are we moving to three decimal <laughs> places now? Or? Okay. Three. All right, Mr. Yeah. I memorized pi to a bunch of places. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this a two. Ooh. And I... I like the flavor. I think it's like, as a cookie, it's fantastic. But I ate a second one, and as I was chewing down on the mochi, it got more angry the more I had to chew. <laughs> and then, like, I found a bit, and I was How more mo- more mochi chew. in it. And I was like, wait, I'm actually really angry about this. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a, a hard two. That's the floor. I don't know. I can't imagine it sinking any worse. How can you be um, angry I mean, I at can, these little cute characters? Though. The illustration oh is adorable, <laughs> but that's how they it get made you. me so, it's so angry. Cute. Yeah, so that it dulls down the anger. Nope. So well, uh, and if you were going by the box and you thought you were getting a white filling, you would be disappointed. True. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a maybe it's a different flavor. I don't know. I mean, like the chocolate was good. The chocolate chips were good. I wanted something different in the middle. I I guess I originally thought it was like a creamy filling, mm-hmm. almost like a a covered Oreo type thing, you know. Um, but it wasn't. It was flubbing mochi, and that mm-hmm. that just made me angry. So maybe yep. some. I mean, they're they're talking too. So if you if you see the front, they're all the little chipmunk <laughs> gopher things actually have hangul next to it. So they're, they're holding they're, a town hall. They're talking. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> they're having a meeting. Maybe they're saying things like "I love rice mochi." I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> But yeah, so maybe if we knew more Korean, we would have had a better picture of the story, the full story. But now we know. And that's now we know. why we do this. It's not <laughs> that good. <laughs> I won't be buying one. <laughs> Sorry. That's fair. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the yes, show today. Thank you so much. Um for, for our listeners, uh uh how can they reach you if you would like to be reached? Are you on any social medias? Would you like to, if not, you can just say, here's my name. Here's, here's me. <laughs> Listen to this episode on repeat. Yeah. That's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> Pretty much what KJ said. I'm really not. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm not a social media person. I have a Facebook account just because I'm not, and I'm not a Facebook fan at all. Mm. I, I, created one so i could reach out to some of these organizations because i realized that without one that's you know that's the only way a lot of these these um organizations communicate these days Isn't so that the worst you're like mm-hmm. do you guys I, have like a mailer <laughs> i know i feeling old but um i caved but anyway i am on facebook under with my name but and that's it that's okay. it so great well thank you again so much thank you so much for having me
Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was really, really fantastic uh, hearing your story and being able to dive into, uh, yeah, just, I mean, all of it. I thought I think it was really, really good. Um, all right, well, that is it for this episode. You can reach out to us at John G. Show on all of our social media platforms. We try to be very available. Or you can send us an email to John G. Show, just like media.com. Uh, you can leave us a phone number at, wait, leave us a phone number. Leave us a voicemail at 972-677-8867. <laughs> Uh, you can support the show by going to judgeshow.com slash support. There's some ways listed. I'm not going to bore you with them now, but if you would do that, that would be really fantastic. Also, we have a live show. I'm going to say coming up it's either, very soon. It's either happening <laughs> this week or it's already happened. So I'm going to wait until future KJ makes a decision and figures out the timeline to talk about that. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me at KJ Relke, Patrick at Patrick in the world wherever he wants to be found and Nathan, where can people find you? No walk on Instagram and, uh, my name on Facebook. Yeah. When follow his TikTok for, uh, Lego stuff. (laughs) So yeah, that's it for us. Um, Rebecca, once again, thank you so much. And until next week, John Chiheo. Chiheo.